This episode of SBJ iFactor is presented by Blessings in a Backpack. Our SBJ iFactor conversation is with Mihir Walavakar, who was a member of SBJ's 40 Under 40 class of 2018 when he joined at the age of 33. Walavakar is co-founder of LiveLike, a dynamic company in the growing sports technology space. And today, Mihir shares his story of growing up in India, going to college in the United States, and what he sees on the horizon when it comes to the sports tech landscape. All that on SBJ iFactor. Hi, I'm Abe Madcor, and welcome to SBJ's iFactor, another episode of the SBJ iFactor. Today we're joined by Mihir Walavakar, who is CEO of LiveLike. Mihir, you were a SBJ 40 Under 40 recipient in 2018. You were also a recipient of our sister company, Leaders in Sports, when they honored their 40 Under 40 honorees in 2019. That's right. But what's interesting about Mihir, a lot of things are, and we'll get to that today, but your background kind of a non-traditional sports business path, grew up in India, went yeah. to college in Mumbai, and then came and charted your course into the sports business. As we start so many of the SBJ I-Factors, let's start from your childhood and growing up and how it influenced you. Thanks for having me. I genuinely appreciate being on the podcast. You're, yeah, you're right. I mean, I never really had an, ever imagined I would be working in sports growing up in India, but you know, I grew up a huge sports fan, Followed a lot of American sports, NBA, um, you know, at that time, American tennis, um, you know, with Sampras right. and Warrior and stuff. But uh, I came to the U.S. for my master's in Georgia Tech. In so you went to college in India? I, I did my undergrad back in India, right. in Mumbai. I came to the U.S. for my master's, electrical engineering at Georgia Tech. Got it. And Calvin Johnson was actually at school uh, when yeah. I was in school on campus. And that's how I really got into NFL um, as a sport or American football as a sport. But... You know, even after school, I did engineering. I was in investment banking, moved back to India, started an education technology company. Right. So to a certain extent, technology has been the thread Correct. through my whole career. And sports just happens to be my passion. Um, and sort of marrying those together and now I have my dream job. So what, uh, what role did sports play? You talked about being an NBA fan in India, but did you play sports? Did your siblings play sports? Talk about that Absolutely. in the culture. I grew, up, I grew up playing table tennis. Yeah. Um, you still play? You guys call it ping pong, which yeah. is disrespectful, but it's table tennis. And I, I, still, I still play for fun, but I grew up playing the sport. I traveled all over India. Um, I mean, gosh, every single state in the country. Um, I would travel for tournaments between the ages of 10 to 15. Uh -huh. And, uh, you know, taught me a lot. I mean, you're on the road as a, as a well, 11, 12-year-old and then a teenager and competing in team th tournaments. Um, you know, everything that you hear athletes talk about when, like, you know, the, what, you, what you gain from the wins and losses, but also the, you know, table tennis, just like tennis, has Davis Cup format, so you have to be part of a team. Um, so learned a lot from that, um, you know, spent my time shuttling between classes and tournaments. So sports was a huge part of my bringing. Um, I think the business of sport is what I really got into once I was right. in investment banking. Right. And I came to New York and I was working on Wall Street. I think the business of sports really started playing a bigger role um, as I got into my early 20s. So before we talk about that, when you left Georgia Tech and you talked about your different jobs, was the goal to be what? Be in what field? Finance? Yeah, I mean, I, I genuinely, I think business excited business, me more. Yeah, yeah. You know, even though I studied engineering and I, I, I started my career off at Cisco as, a, as an engineer, I quickly realized even during my internship, during my master's, that the, the, tech, the application of technology, the architecture is what excited me more 
or like you know in the case of Cisco they have a very inorganic growth strategy they do a lot of M&A that part of Cisco excited me more than the products that I was building or testing at that time so when I learned that when I realized that that was the case I actually went back to school for my last semester and audited a bunch of finance and business courses asked my professors to just let me sit in because I wasn't even allowed to take them I wasn't allowed to pay for it I wasn't allowed to audit it I was just I just sat in the courses I requested my professors to just be like treat me like a normal student I will do all your tests I will participate in all your projects I just it just won't show up on my resume but I learned from it and they were happy they were gracious enough to let me be in there um, good student excellent student well good 4.0 yeah. come on is that right <laughs> so when did the uh, idea like I'm gonna transition from business finance maybe tech into sports a friend of mine investment banking actually when my part of my same analyst training class had actually invested in a sports uh, sports startup and in Paris and you know he actually asked me back in 2009 to join it um, he and I were big Federer fans um, so we actually you know even during my analyst training class like I organized a group outing to go for the, the Rogers Masters in mm -hmm. Toronto so everyone around me knew that I'm a huge tennis fan huge Formula One fan you know won my fantasy football league the only year that I played retired on a high um, <laughs> at RBC and uh, you know I think he knew that I was a huge sports fan so he wanted me to come join the company in 2009 it wasn't possible but he came back to me in 2013 to say like look we've just raised our seed round we want to grow the business I think you can be a good ad addition to the team um, you know for global expansion and that's how I really got into sports um, was running this soccer technology startup in in Paris uh, which then eventually within a year folded into what live like is and what year was that this was 2013 13 so I, I first Paris. saw you at a first and 10 NFL yeah. uh, first and 10 startup competition in San Francisco Correct. that you presented at Stanford I believe on yeah. a Saturday morning yeah and that was live like that was live like so how did the transition get into live like so we um, you know when we were running the previous company was called UFIT at the time um, virtual reality had just right. started happening yeah. Facebook had just bought oculus and one of my um, colleagues brother was working in virtual reality in South Korea with Samsung so he was visiting us random weekend and we just got a glimpse of what the oculus headset was at the time and it was insane like that first experience where you really get immersed in virtual yeah. reality was is a moment you remember and I think that was the moment where we were like okay we're working in sports virtual reality has a great application for sport I think the, the application that I saw was we were watching movies we were watching a movie at, in a virtual theater with friends and we were like this works for sports social viewing communal viewing for sports is the holy grail and we said you know what how about we try to marry those two together and that's really that that was it that's when we decided we wanted to do it we tested out um, the concept with a few of our existing partners in the previous company everyone had positive reactions we said you know what? I think this has a viable business idea and we came to the US to be part of a Techstars accelerator program and right after the race and so there, to, to roughly 2014-15 live like is launched with and, you and, and how many yeah you, you and how many partners there were four other co-founders and the solution that you were solving or the problem you were solving was going to be what we were trying to make sports viewing more communal and interactive mm -hmm. so you know all of us most of our co-founders actually we were either born in India or France there were two two French um, three French guys and two Indians and you know we all grew up as sports fans watching sports in the middle of the night never actually attending games 
the French guys might be a different story. I attended some local games, but like definitely not the NBAs and the Formula Ones and the tennises of the world. So for us, it was very much like a passion project. Like, wouldn't it be cool if me and my teammates or my roommates or my ex-roommates from college right, could cool. watch games together? Got it. Um, so that was the whole thesis behind it. I think the the pillars of social community interactivity is still what Live Like is about today. We've just dropped the virtual reality aspect. Right, so let's talk about the progression of the, tr the transformation of the company because starting a technology company based around VR and sports was a, was a tough putt early yeah. on. So you had to have some ebbs and flows. Oh my God, we, <laughs> we, I think I can write a book about it, but it won't sell because there are so many stories like these. But um, you know, in, a, in a way, we, you know, the virtual reality industry as a whole went through the whole hype cycle and we saw that. We saw that even when we were in the moment, we were like, this is crazy. It's not going to be sustainable because people are expecting this to be a $200 billion market by 2020. It just was not. The, on the ground, we could see that it was not the case. Um, you know, the rights holders weren't moving fast enough. The consumers right. weren't being adapt they, they weren't you know, adopting fast enough. The, it, the experience wasn't sticky enough. It was always sort of niche. And we realized that. But the thing about Live Like was we always wanted sports to be a communal interactive experience, engaging experience. Virtual reality was just the medium for it. So what we decided to do then was go to our existing partners, and we did every, we did the FIFA World Cup, we did the Super Bowl, we did Champions League final, we did NBA games. Good partners. We live Great streamed partners. all of it. I mean, these were some of the, like, we, I don't think there was an event, a major event between the years of 2015 to 2018 that we didn't cover. Got it. Um, and yet, we were like, you know, there are factors that are just out of our control, industry risks, hardware risks, and we wanted to deleverage ourselves from that, hedge our bets against that. So we started building out a much more integrated product offering because you know one, one thing that all our partners were asking us was, instead of creating a new parallel experience for their audiences, how about we, we provide them the functionality, the social, the interactive functionality, but in their owned and operated apps like ESPN or Fox. Fox was like, I have the Fox Sports Go app already. I don't right. want to launch Fox Sports VR. Right. Can I bring the VR functionalities into Fox Sports Go? That was the genesis for what, what, what we are today now, where um, we built out this integrated product offering where we are going to all the partners around the world and saying, we're going to give you the tools to attract Gen Z to solve your retention and churn problems and give you the, give you the technology and the products uh, toolkit to build your own experiences to make it much more of a fun, engaging, and sticky experience. And that transformation was roughly 19, 18, 19? Yeah, I would say we probably started prototyping and concepting towards the end of 2018, just after the World Cup. Okay. And um, we really launched this in earnest two years ago. And as we sit here in November of 21, the company's in a good spot. And yeah. you, you really, it's more about providing so, uh, technology and solutions that they embed into their experiences Correct. that already exist. That's exactly yeah. right. I mean, I think, you know, today, there are some partners that I can't even talk about yet, um, which are big names, but the ones that I can talk about, you know, with March Madness, NASCAR, Golden State Warriors, we work with the NBA, um, we, uh, we, we have a, a betting partnership with Sport Radar. I mean, to a certain extent, in the last 18 months, what has happened is it, we've gone from evangelizing this functionality to people coming to us asking for it. There are RFPs being created for gamification and engagement. Right. Ev, I mean, fan engagement is the, the, the most used word right now in the industry. And fan engagement is a catch-all to a certain extent. We focus on one aspect of it. But, um, you know, there's been a massive shift for the business. You know, you're known as a, a thought leader, specifically in the gamification area. You're a th thought leader in terms of identifying Gen Z or, you know, targeting and engaging with Gen Z. It's something you've kind of been really doubling down on. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, I mean, I would love to think of myself as a thought leader. I definitely appreciate the opportunity to talk about it. Um, you know, one thing that we've learned is there is no one-size-fits-all experience. You know, even within Gen Z, even within the world of sports, one thing we've learned is if you take a stop-and-go sport like NFL and a fluid sport like soccer or the NBA, your cadence of fan engagement is very, very different. different yeah. right? That's why if you see, you know, even in the betting world, some sports lend themselves better for in-play or in-game bets. Some sports lend themselves better for prop bets, for, for out, outcome-based bets. And how do you create an experience that actually attracts different types of audiences? How do you give your partners the, the capabilities to build their own that makes yeah. sense for their uh, user base? That's really the key. And I mean, honestly, one thing that we've probably done the best in the last two years is differentiate ourselves from the rest of the products out there, which is we are not a white label product offering. We are not a one size fits all product offering. We are bringing a set of tools to our partners. I mean, think of it more like, you know, we're basically providing the Lego bricks and you build whatever structure you want from it. We make it easy. But the other thing about you that I've uh, a lot of people have talked about is that, like you're a really student of the business. You, you love the sports business, even yeah. though you weren't late to it, but you didn't think it would be your path. And one of the great stories is you developed this friendship with uh, the late commissioner, David Stern. Yeah. How did that happen? How did that start? And what was his influence on you and Live Like? Um, miss, miss him dearly every, every single day. We, um, I first saw him at a Columbia entrepreneurship event. Um, I was in the audience. I heard he was speaking. I had obviously heard of him, knew of him, read a lot about the CBAs and like all the lockouts of the past. So obviously had a certain perception right. of him, right? Um, I'm sure he loved that. Yeah, he loves it. Like, we loved all those conversations. But we, um, you know, I was actually, I, funny thing is, first time I saw him, I saw, I waited in line for 45 minutes or an hour. I don't even remember how long it was to get a photo with him. And literally two, day, two people before me, you know, he stopped. He, he took pictures there and then he left and I never got a chance to talk to him. But one of our investors, Greycroft Partners, who he then became an advisor, venture partner with uh, after he retired, um, came to us. They saw us. They saw, they're like, you know, this technology is really cool. You know, so who, who would love to see this is David Stern. And we were like, the David Stern? And they're like, yeah. And so, so we had a meeting with him. He, you know, true to form, basically crushed us the first time around. But I think the thing that he liked the most was that we kept, kept coming back. I would see him at a basketball game that we were doing in virtual reality in London at the O2 Arena with BT. He was there. I had an all-access pass, so I went up to him. I was like, I don't know if you remember me, but I saw you three months ago. He's like, yeah, I remember. Of course, of course. Uh, I was like, you know, we have made a ton of progress. We now have basketball in our, uh, in our demo. I would love to come and show you. He's like, sure, email me, um, and maybe I'll get back to you. I tell that to everyone or something like that. And... You know, I wrote back to him. Um, the second meeting went much better because he saw the progress. He knew that we took his feedback to heart and addressed that feedback within three months. And then I think the moment it all sort of clicked and we knew that we belong was when he invited me to be on the Paley Center panel with him, which oh, he was moderating. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, sort of, I remember it's April, April 20, 2016, and he came, he came up to me and he was like, you know, you are the MVP. I'm going to invest in your company. I'm going to take you know, X percentage equity, I'm going to invest $50,000. But just so you know, um, my fund is called Micromanagement Ventures. Right. So be ready for it. Right. The uh, micromanagement part. Yeah, the yeah. micromanagement part. And I remember telling him, I was like, if I ever raise a fund, you just remember that it's going to be called Upward Management Ventures. So you better be ready to work for us. Uh -huh. uh, and I, you know, he loved that yeah, banter. Before, yeah, um, banter. And, you know, since then, I mean, obviously developed an amazing friendship. 
He mentor has, I mean, has been a mentor, continues to be. You know, I still go back to read some of the messages or the emails that he has sent. So. Yeah, I remember yeah. Uh, either being on a phone call with you in his office or yeah. also you texting me from his office and saying, you know, some of the advice he had given you. So, you know, I really admired the friendship that you two developed as he, you know, counseled, but also you counseled him. And I know he enjoyed being around you just as much as you learned from him. It was, um, I mean, it's still surreal, still not believable, honestly. But, um, you know, he, he was so gracious. I mean, my parents came into town. He met them gave us tickets. Um, I was working very closely with him on the rest of his portfolio. So, you know, he would always come and ask, like, what do you think about this portfolio company? What should they be doing? Or what do you, should I, do you think I should be reinvesting in the next round? Um, one of my last things that I did for him, quote unquote, was um, I flew to Detroit um, to, to visit this startup that he was looking at evaluating whether he should invest in them. And he wanted me to go and check them out and do due diligence on them and come back and report to him. And I mean, I, I, my last meeting with him was the day before his unfortunate um, incident. And we were basically talking about what I thought about the business, how we think we can help him. So he tr the fact that he trusted me to do that meant yeah. so much more. Um, yeah. And it became so much more than just an investor in live-like relationships. Oh, I knew it and I could tell, but uh, we certainly both still miss him and the industry misses him a yeah. great deal. So we're gonna end with some more quick hitters. Uh, about you, uh, your 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 work-life balance. How do you do it? What's it like? I don't think there is a balance. Yeah. My wife uh, uh, criticizes me about that all the time. You know, it's funny when you run your own business and you're sort of living your dream. It's hard to turn it off. But I have a two and a two and a half year old daughter now, so I make sure that you know at least my evenings and weekends, I'm carving out times where there is no phone or there's no emails. And I'm just playing with her. I'm going to the park uh, or taking her to her swim or gym and stuff. I think she has actually helped find that balance. Um, but truly, it is, it is hard to turn it off. Because knowing you, it's your lifestyle. Because I know you're wired on Saturday mornings, Sunday mornings, Sunday afternoons, yeah. just being in contact with you. Yeah. Hardest part about being a CEO and a founder is? You're responsible for a lot of people. Um, you know, that added pressure takes a toll sometimes, you know, especially during the down times. I mean, last year, I remember during the pandemic when there was just complete uncertainty about what was going on. You know, for two months, basically our entire business collapsed to a certain extent because every single one of our partners' business collapsed. And um, not knowing what was going to happen next uh, was definitely stressful. But also, you know, how do you find the right balance between over-communicating and under-communicating? How, how much do you share? And how much do you not share yeah. to shield the, yeah. shield the team from that uncertainty? So I think absorbing that pressure on behalf of everyone is definitely one of the biggest uh, challenges. And which can take its toll. Definitely takes a toll. Uh, I think we have gone through many ups and downs by now that it's sort of become second nature. And, and, and you know, I think I've, I've learned to deal with it much better than, than I did in the early days. But um, it's still not easy. Before we ask what's next for you and Live Life, what's, what's your concern your levels of optimism or your levels of concern and headwinds for the sports business? Honestly, I'm super optimistic. Okay. I think maybe a couple of years ago, it might have felt like, you know, things were coming to a head. I mean, every every single article was about cord cutting and and ratings being down and, and stuff like that. And I, I, I think you see this year, like, it, I mean, the NFL has bounced back. But mm -hmm. even even other sports are, are showing signs of strength, you know, whether it's in the media rights deal, whether it's the business or in the fan engagement. But, you know, with, with betting, with NIL, with, uh, with the NFT space and crypto space, there is 
enough there for people to feel optimistic about where the industry is going now will there be winners and losers right. 100% but just when there's just like there's any dislocation in the market there are arbitrage opportunities i think there's there's plenty that can be done in the next five to 10 years. And you always talk to me how excited you are, or how interested you are in the amount of money that's on the sideline, the amount of money that's in the marketplace there to invest and to yeah. uh, make acquisitions. I mean, look, with all the money that's gone into SPACs in the last 12 months, they have a two year period to invest that money. So I feel like in the next 18 to 24 months, there's gonna be, it's, good, it's, it's a good time to be an entrepreneur or a startup founder if, if you are doing well, doing it's well, a yeah. really, really good time. Yeah. I think there's going to be plenty of, I think it's going to be a, a seller's market to a certain extent um, because there's just money out there waiting for good businesses to snap them up. And, and, and consolidation is needed in any case. I think there's too much money that's been invested in the early stages, but not enough in the later stages of these businesses. Got it. And so consolidation in the ecosystem and in the value chain is going to be very important. So the sellers can put a pretty big valuation on their on what they're looking for. Yeah, I think right. if you're if you're if you're if you're positioned correctly, right. I mean you've already seen that, right? Yeah. Like in the last 12 months, some of the businesses that have been bought up, bought or the, how the valuations have gone up, whether they went public or whether they got acquired, like the Score or Fubo or any of these mm -hmm. businesses. I mean, if you see what's going on with Sorare and, and, and Dapper Labs right. and stuff, I mean, there's so much liquidity that has been created in the last 18 months through the stock markets, through the boom. In the tech space, there's definitely been a lot of, um, uh, you know, it, it's, it's a zero-sum game, so I guess some people lost, but, like, there's so much liquidity and that, that money is basically chasing deals at this time, at this right. point in time. So the ones that are well-positioned will definitely... And to your earlier it. point, some of those SPACs really only have about six or eight months left. Because yeah. they're about they're well into a year of yeah. their of their forming. Final question: What's next for Mahir? What's next for Live Like for the audience? There's a lot going on with Live Like. I, I was having a conversation with someone recently. They're like, "Are you ready to sell?" I was like, "Absolutely right. was not." Curious, it's yeah. a fun time. I think we are finally hitting our stride. Everything that we've been talking about for the last five or six years now is finally coming true. And you know, to a certain extent, we've gone from evangelizing the business right. or evangelizing these ideas to being sought after for, for our uh, institutional knowledge, for our, for our know-how. And I don't think that's, I mean, it's, it's too much fun to, to walk away now. Well, it seems like you're having fun. And ever since I've known you, you like to have, a, a, you've really gotten a, a passion for the business of sports. Obviously, you have a passion for Live Like because it's your company, but you're certainly a student of the sports business. Yeah. And you and I have spent many an hours talking yeah. about so many trends and things we're seeing. We'll continue to do that. So Mahir Walavakar was a SBJ 40 under 40 recipient in 2018. Like I said, leaders in sports 40 under 40 in 2019. Mahir, thanks for joining us on SBJ iFactor and telling your story. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for joining SBJ iFactor today. Remember to subscribe to SBJ iFactor wherever you listen to your podcasts and listen to our future episodes that will hit every two weeks.